Hey, Brian. How are you? I'm good, John. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. And uh, welcome back, Francesca. It is so nice to be back. So um, in the way of a little bit of background, it, you probably already know this if you've been listening to, to the show, that Francesca is a professor of business administration in the negotiation organizations and markets unit at Harvard Business School and an award-winning researcher who focuses on why people make the decisions they do at work and how leaders and employees can have more productive, creative, and fulfilling lives. So like I mentioned, Francesca's been with us here before. This is actually her second time joining us. She was on a few episodes back talking to us about the forever skill of collaboration, but we uh, we had to invite her back on when we saw the latest article that she co-wrote for Harvard Business Review called Managing a Polarized Workforce, How to Foster Debate and Promote Trust, because we believe debating and even disagreeing with others is, is a skill. And when you consider the fact that things are changing so quickly around us, especially in the workplace, and people are going to have differing perspectives and points of view about how to navigate those changes. I mean, you kind of realize that this is, this isn't only a skill, but a, but a forever skill for sure. I mean, what do you think, Francesca? Do you, do you agree that we're probably in for even more debating and disagreeing in the future, especially in the workplace as all these changes start coming and we're, we're going to need this skill more than ever? Absolutely. I look at organizations I've been working with or leaders I've been advising or studying. And one of the things that is clear is that organizations are facing very complex times that require them to make sure that they discuss different perspectives on problems and organizations are becoming more diverse. That is all wonderful. But by increasing diversity, we also increase the likelihood of more disagreement. And so I think that we need to nurture and further develop skills that allow for those disagreements to become productive rather than not. Yeah. I mean, so, so Francesca, what I, what I find really interesting about this topic or, or this skill is that debates and disagreements and even, even conflict are not the kind of things that a lot of us want to, um, let's say, run toward, right? We don't we really want to run to them, especially in the workplace. And in, in fact, most of us want to do the opposite and run away from those things or avoid them. But what's interesting is you believe, and your research supports this, that companies are looking at conflict all wrong. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? I agree with you that we tend, because we are human beings, we tend to avoid situations where we're going to disagree. And part of it is that I think most of us grew up with the advice that in moments where conversations might be difficult or there is a lot at stake, that either we're honest or we maintain the relationship. We do one or the other. And the reality is that we can embrace even the most difficult conversations, doing a little bit of both. So we're being honest, we have the opportunity to speak our mind, but we do so respectfully. So first of all, let's put that advice that we're so familiar with to decide. But it's also the case that we have a lot of myths about conflict. We think, for example, that people who are going to disagree with us are going to do so because they are uninformed 
or maybe they are unintelligent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they don't, they're not as smart as, as we are. <laughs> right. and, and that's just not true. I, I can think of a lot of examples where I was in a heated disagreement with a person or a group that was as equally informed as I was, but the information that they were looking at was different. And so you're going to end up in a disagreement despite the fact that you have a lot of information. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, I think this is a really important topic for a couple of reasons. Um, I, I think the, I don't think you can have, and I don't know that organizations have thought about this enough, but I don't think that you can have diversity of thought without having disagreements or the ability to have discussion, because that's the whole purpose of bringing differing opinions into a discussion. I don't think, though, people have thought through enough what that means to their organization. And this concept that you bring towards us, Francesca, in regards to, you know, this is something that we have to embrace and we have to figure out how to make this a productive conversation, even though that's happening. I don't know that there's been enough thought that's been given to that. And in fact, I can think of leaders who stands out to me for having given some thought about making disagreements productive. I remember once interviewing a great leader. His name is Ed Catmull. He used to be the uh, president of Pixar Animation Studios. He was also one of the co-founders. And he was talking about the impression that he had at the beginning when he was participating in brainstorming sessions about films that were in development. And what was striking to him is that in these meetings, often you would have very intense disagreements. And then mm -hmm. people would walk out of the meeting saying, that was the best discussion ever. <laughs> uh -huh. And that was possible because people were disagreeing about the elements of the work, the task, but it was never something that became personal. That's mm -hmm. a difficult balance to reach and to achieve. I agree. I, I, we have the conversation all the time that, you know, depending on the business culture that you're in, um, the difficult conversations are the ones that people don't want to have. People want to come together, have the, 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 the sessions where, you know, it's easy, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy conversation, but it's the difficult conversations are the ones that move the business. And so they can be productive. And, and I think that's an important, an important element. But, but Francesca, let, let's, I actually love the, how you sort of bust the myths, so to speak, right, about debates and disagreements and conflicts. But of course, that brings us to sort of a bigger question, which is how? How can we get more comfortable with debating and disagreements and actually get better at it? And, and I, I love how you organize some hows in your article into sort of four buckets. And I want to go through them one by one. So I'd love for you to start with the first one, which is sort of diffuse fears of disagreeing with others. So I find it interesting that every time I bring this into my conversations with leaders or employees out there, or I bring this to the classroom, that we are quick to think about recent disagreements that were very intense. And you think about heated exchanges that almost ruined relationships that were pretty good to start with. 
And one of the things that I always tell my students or the leaders that I talk to is that disagreements is not as bad as we think. There is some great research that shows that if you look at the emotions that people expect to feel when they disagree with others versus the reality of the emotions that they experience as they disagree, there is a mismatch. So yes, a conflict is not necessarily the most pleasant activity that you can engage in, but it's definitely not as bad as we think it's going to be. And so just realizing that that is the case is a helpful reframing such that we're more likely mm -hmm. to engage uh, with conflicts. Well, and you also mentioned, you know, it, those conversations, if you don't take them personally and you look at it from the context of it being a discussion and you do it with respect, I think, you know, if we all go into it with those two things in mind, I think that also makes it an easier conversation to have. So, so your next recommendation is to teach people to be open-minded. And, and I actually love this one because you talk about something called the listening triangle. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that? Absolutely. It is a framework that is used a lot by professionals in the context of conflict resolution. And it's a technique and an approach that finds its roots in the work on active listening. And if we think about one of the skills that all of us can nurture and strengthen, I think that active listening would be one of them. I think we often <laughs> listen to get ready to talk rather than listening to truly understand the other side. And so this listening triangle consists of three simple steps. The first one is asking the other side about their views listening to the answer, and then restate the view in our own words to make sure that we have a good understanding of what was said. And then we repeat, starting with the same questions or a similar one. And so what is interesting is that by going through this practice, you realize, again, how often we're not listening well. We're listening because we're paying attention to information as it relates to us rather than being other-centered, centered on the person we are talking to such that we get to understand their perspective in deeper ways. Hey, Brian, I got to tell you, this I, I love this. I, I, you know where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> First of all, I don't know if it reminds you of the improv conversation. Yeah. Right? The repeating. It was. It's almost like the yes and. Yes. You're not, you might not be repeating what they're saying. Um, so, Francesca, we did a uh, a while back on, a, on another show that we did called Culture Shock. We uh, spoke with an improv teacher who, when it came to listening, which obviously improv is all about listening. It's a huge part of it. One of the exercises is the thing, yes, and. So somebody, your, your partner says something and you say yes, and, and you build on it. And it's a way of affirming what they said, but then kind of, you know, putting your own thought to it. But you have to listen in order to build on it and, you know, and, and it to make any kind of sense. So that re reminds me of that. But we also spoke a while back to an FBI negotiator <laughs> about how to uh, diffuse arguments at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> and he didn't call yeah. it the listening triangle, but it's definitely it was definitely a part of that. 
Absolutely. I took over the last two years, I took a great course on listening since I thought I could further improve on those skills. But the course was taught by a hostage negotiator. Oh, there you go. And yeah. there we That's go. What he was. <laughs> right? That's what he was. Yeah, yeah. He was a hostage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. But, but, what, but what I love about this and that context is that they find themselves in the most toughest situations. And they can start engaging with whoever they're engaging with by saying, or oh, this person is irrational or they're crazy. They don't start that way. Right. They always come in with curiosity, focused on what <laughs> it is they could be learning from the conversation through their listening, such that they understand their motives, the intentions a little bit better, and then they come to a resolution. But the the other side to this, which makes a lot of sense, is how many times have you in you know done this exercise yourself, and when you repeat back what you thought the person said, their response can come back to you and say, "Well, kind of, but that's not exactly what I meant." Right? That that's that's an interesting piece to just show you how important it is to repeat that because you could walk away from that conversation with something completely different, and that's not what it was intended uh, to be to begin with. And you can imagine that in a situations where the emotions are high, the stakes mm -hmm. are high, it's even more difficult to really capture the perspective that the other person is offering. And so misunderstanding is very possible. Yeah. In fact, very likely to happen. Yeah, it gives you the clarity. Yeah. And, and you touch on, you know, emotions are high and it could be high stakes situations. Your next uh, recommendation is in regards to pick your words carefully. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, because I think this one is really important. I think this one is really exciting. So what yeah. my colleagues and I have done, we have captured conversations as they happen during moments of disagreements or heated conflicts. And what we have looked at is a feature of language in those conversations that show others greater receptiveness. They show others that you're being more open-minded. And what we find in our work is that when we show more receptiveness, we are better able to turn conflicts into productive disagreements. And in fact, we resolve conflicts more easily. So we have a framework that I think it's very easy to remember, but also quite helpful in reminding us what receptiveness is all about. We refer to it as I hear you. And the important part is the here. So the H stands for add your claims. So rather than saying, I'm 100% sure that this is the right way to go, you say, I think it's possible that, or one perspective on this issue is, in such a way that, again, uh, creates more openness. The E stands for emphasize agreement. So again, there might be a lot of things that you disagree on, but there might be something that unites two. Uh, you too. And so saying we are both concerned with, or I think we both want to make a decision, you're sort of centering the discussion on that piece where you agree. The A stands for acknowledging others' perspective. Again, that doesn't mean that you agree with them, but you acknowledge mm -hmm. that there are different points of view. Or you could say something like, what I think you're saying is. And finally, the R stands for reframing in positive terms. 
Now, we're all been part of conflicts and it's very easy to go into the negative. And this final piece of advice is about reframing the argument such that you highlight something in positive terms. So I really appreciate when X or it would be so wonderful if. And so you're bringing in more of a positive tone into a conversation where you're disagreeing. Yeah. And again, John, going back to these conversations, right, when we were talking to uh, the hostage negotiator, you know, one of the things that they had even mentioned was at some point we can all find a ground that we'll agree on. For example, the sky is blue. Right. You know, you're 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 not going to necessarily disagree on that. And if that becomes your starting point and you build from there, that becomes a really helpful piece. And then the other thing, again, back to a previous conversation, Francesca, that we had was acknowledgement doesn't necessarily mean agreement. You acknowledge that you hear what is being said, you don't have to agree with it, but not that's not the ask here. It's just to understand the perspective that the person's having and, and you might not agree with it, but that's not, the two of them don't go hand in hand. So th- those are a couple of things I think, and I, and I love that you're reemphasizing that point here because those are, those are really critical, what I believe to be uh, forever skills as well in, in this process. And and acknowledgement, I just feel like it's so important because it just, even if they're not going to agree, the acknowledgement is just that respect. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and when you get, and that's a lot of times, like you won't, sometimes, you you know, especially in in business meetings, especially if you're talking about creative kind of things, you, you, you almost expect people are not going to agree. (laughs) <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, I mean, because, you know, it might be a new idea or whatever it is, but that idea of acknowledgement is so important because you're, it gives you that feeling of, well, at least they heard me and they get it and they, you know, where, where they take it from there, whether they agree or not, doesn't really matter. It, once again, Brian, it's the yes and right. that, that saying yes is the acknowledgement. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're, we're purposely building teams today. We're looking for people. We're not looking for people to all have the same point of view. That doesn't get right. you anywhere. We That's are right. looking for individuals who will challenge the conversation, who will challenge a perspective. Again, respectfully. However, that difference in that different point of view is what helps organizations grow. And Quite honestly, not just the organization, it helps us as people grow in the process as well. That's great. What I love about this is that you reminded me of the many non-constructive brainstorming sessions that I've participated in in the last many, many years. And so what I think it's interesting is that At a conceptual level, we get it. At a conceptual level, we understand that if you bring in more diversity, if you really debate through decisions, if you really challenge each other's views and ideas when it comes to brainstorming, that the result is going to be better. That if you truly leverage that availability of perspectives, it can lead to much better quality decisions and better ideas going forward. But in the moment, it feels uncomfortable, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know yeah, about you, absolutely. but I like when people nod their heads in agreement with me. And so we need to be able to practice this receptive mindset and this way of talking exactly in the moments where others are challenging our views. 
And again, not going back to just because someone doesn't agree with you, meaning that they're uninformed or not intelligent, right? So that embracing that you're trying to accomplish is to help us as individuals get past that you know, judgmental component yeah. that, oh, they don't agree with me. They can't, they can't have all of the facts. So this is, this just isn't the right perspective. Absolutely. Before doing this research, oftentimes in meetings, I would hear somebody bring up an idea that was very different from my own. And I would look at them with this strange look. It was not <laughs> a very positive one to sort of say, what's wrong with you? And I started thinking, well, maybe they're not as committed to the organization or to the cause as I am, or maybe they're not as smart as I am, or they don't have the right skills and competencies to think through this problem. And now, in light of this research, I catch myself and try to ask a very different set of questions. I say, how is it that a person who's this committed to the cause or this smart thinks so differently about this issue or problem. And so again, you get curious, you ask questions, you try to understand and learn about their perspective. Yeah, it's the get curious element that I think is sometimes the element that's again. missing. <laughs> yeah, again, John, yeah. I mean, that's come up for us before. Ask those questions. That is that curiosity does solve for a lot of these differences in opinion. Again, just to acknowledge and have a better understanding of where that individual is coming from. Francesca, last but not least, um, uh, foster a culture that encourages tolerance. And I have to tell you, I found the, I guess you'll call it, quote unquote, gender difference really interesting here. Can, can you talk about this recommendation? Absolutely. I found those gender differences quite interesting as well. Mm -hmm. What we find in our research <laughs> is that women tend to naturally exhibit receptiveness. So without any instructions or without any training, women more so than men spontaneously use the kind of language that signals more openness, that signal more receptiveness. And so I think that this is an important insight. And to me, it has two primary implications. That when feasible, we should assign women to lead conversations on topics that are difficult to talk about. And if training time or resources are particularly scarce, then probably we could focus on training men on receptiveness more so than, than women. So that, to me, is an important uh, insight coming out of this. But also, in addition to leveraging women, we should be thinking about how to be a good role model for others, being the first to use language that is receptive, because one of the things that we find in our work is that receptiveness is very contagious. Why? I'm curious. Why, why, do, we feel, why do we think that women exhibit receptiveness more than men? Does, that, does the research cover that? I think that part of it is that women are very relationship oriented. And so if in a tough conversations or in a disagreement, you're centering around maintaining the relationship, it's very likely that you're going to be less dominating or less certain in expressing your views. I think that that where that insight comes from. Interesting. Yeah. 
Francesca, this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us again. It was such a pleasure. Always happy to talk to you too. Thank you. Okay, everyone, there you have it. Uh, some tips on how to embrace debates and even get better at them. As always, be sure to use the comment section if you want to weigh in on this topic or others that we discussed during this conversation. And, and thanks for listening.